good morning, New Beginnings. I am so glad you're here. And uh, if you don't know me, my name is Matt Darby. I'm one of the pastors here at New Beginnings. I have the privilege of pastoring our Gilmer campus. And so uh, let me just say to you from your Gilmer campus family, uh, we love you. And uh, what a joy to get to be with you this morning. I am thankful uh, to be here. Uh, and uh, I am very thankful to our uh, lead pastor, uh, my pastor, uh, Pastor Todd Connitz. People ask me all the time, Matt, as a pastor, who's your pastor? My pastor is Pastor Todd. Uh, not only that, he is one of my life's greatest friends, and uh, I am so thankful for him, for his investment in me. And, and uh, let me just ask you, aren't you thankful for his leadership at our church? Thank you. Gosh. So grateful for the opportunity, and uh, I hope you're excited to jump into God's Word this morning. We're going to be continuing uh, in this series we've been in called A Good Word as we kind of finish out uh, the little book of Philippians. We're going to be in Philippians chapter 4 if you want to grab your Bible and head that way. And uh, we're going to be dealing with verses 14 through 20 and uh, looking at some very practical ways that living a life worthy of the gospel works itself out. Really, all over this letter, there's two big themes that we've talked about as we've worked our way through Philippians. One is joy. About 20 times, Paul references rejoicing or joy through the letter. The other big idea you see in uh, verse, uh, chapter 1, verse 27, where he says we are to live a life worthy of the gospel. And so when we get to chapter 4, really the rest of the letter, but very uh, much here in chapter 4, Paul begins to give these good words, one right after another, telling us what it looks like to live with joy in Jesus and what the life looks like that is lived worthy of the gospel. And so we, we talked about in week one a, a few weeks ago that this looks like having uh, joy in all things, rejoicing in all things, and praying about everything. And last week we looked at the idea of, of a life lived worthy of the gospel is a life filled with contentment. Boy, that's such an important word, right? Contentment isn't in having more stuff, it's having more Jesus is what we discovered last week, which is why Paul said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me? Now, he wasn't talking about I can succeed and I can, I can have a bunch of stuff and I can run a marathon and I can max out on bench press, right? That's not what he's talking about. He's saying, I can starve if that's what God calls me to. I can, I can give away all that I have if that's what God calls me to do. Why? Because it isn't my strength. It's Christ in me. It's Christ strengthening me. And so we looked at that idea of contentment. And this morning, we're going to jump in at verse 14, and Paul, again, he's giving another good word about what this life, when it is lived worthy of the gospel, what it, what it does. And one of the things we're going to see this morning is it calls us into a gospel partnership, a gospel partnership. What does that mean? It's a partnership that we come into together for building the kingdom of God and advancing the gospel. This idea of partnership is all over the letter. One of the things I love is how, um, uh, how Paul thanked them and loved them so dearly. Paul planted this little church, by the way. These are his spiritual children, and they loved him very much. And Paul begins and ends this letter by showing gratitude for their partnership with him. Right? He begins in chapter 1. He says, I thank God every time I remember you for your partnership with me in this, and as we get into the last chapter, he begins to show that gratitude uh, again. 
And what I love is that this little church loved Paul. They loved him and they, they supported him and they partnered with him and they considered themselves very much a part of his ministry. They considered themselves a, very much a part of what God had called Paul to do. And you see that in the first few verses. Look at verse 14, Philippians 4, verse 14. If you're there, let me hear you say the Bible is true. Amen. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. A couple of really important words in those verses that Paul uses. Actually, it's one Greek word that is expressed in two ways. He said that that word that you see for share... Is, is actually a word that means fellowship or partnership. It shows up again a little bit later. Paul says, you have shared in my trouble. You entered into partnership with me. What Paul is saying is you have partnered in my trouble. You fellowshiped with me in my hardship. The, the basic translation of that word, it communicates a, a deep partnership between two people that are going the same direction. That, that, that's, that's really what that word communicates. And this is how this church has come alongside Paul in this season. Paul's in prison when he writes this, right? He is chained to a Roman guard when he writes this. His need is great. And he is saying this church out of their poverty and out of what they have, they have partnered with me in my trouble. I don't know if you've ever had somebody come alongside you and share in your trouble or partner in your trouble. Uh, A few years ago, Carrie and I took our children on a little, uh, just tried to take a week, and we went up to Colorado on a vacation, and we loved it. We loved getting together. We've, got, we've been able to do it twice, and the first time we went, we thought, you know what would be a great idea? If we went on a hike. Boy, that'll give you permanent eyes crossed. I'm telling you. Uh, we go on this hike, and so we look at this map that says, oh, it's, it's two miles in. You get to see this beautiful mountain lake, and it's two miles back, and I'm like, two miles? Piece of cake, saddle up. We'll be there at home in an hour. Let's go. And um, that wasn't true. And so uh, we take off on this hike, and you know, within 30 minutes, I begin to realize I've made a series of terrible choices that have led me to a terrible situation. Um, I am on this mountain, and I'm starting to look around, <laughs> and I notice the people that are hiking with us, they don't look like I look. They look different than I look. I look one right. I look. They look trim and ready, and I look like an unmade waterbed walking up the mountain. And I'm like, something. This is. I don't feel right about this situation that I'm in, right? And I start to notice they've got on like these hiking boots and these pants with all sorts of zippers and pockets on it, and they've got this backpack with a water hose coming out of it, and they're just walking and drinking water while they go. And I'm up there literally in gym shorts and flip-flops, and I'm going, something's something's wrong. We've made a a terrible choice, and the longer we go, the worse it got. My body started breaking down. Y'all, I couldn't breathe. You ever been up high enough where you go, I can't breathe up here, right? My body started shutting down, and I got my whole family up here. And I'm like, if if something doesn't happen, I'm going to jump off the mountain and just hope I land in the truck. I just hope that I just dive into the truck and can get back get back to the house. And, um, well, thankfully this sweet lady comes along 
Um, she was probably in her 70s, um, and she was basically cartwheeling up and down the mountain, right? <laughs> Made me furious. And so she comes along. She's going the same direction. She looks at us. And have you ever had somebody look at you, and you, they're sweet to you, but you know they're being super judgy. They're just not saying it, right? She was like, come on. Mm-mm-mm. Y'all don't got any business up here. And so she's up there. She packed for herself everything she needed for her hike. She had water. She had some snacks. She had all that stuff, all the stuff we didn't have. And uh, she stops. She unzips her backpack. She has mercy. And you know what she does? She shared in our hardship. That's what she did. She didn't pack thinking, I'm going to have to supply for a whole dumb family. That's not what she thought, but that's what she did. She shared in that partnership. She got into our hardship and she partnered with us. And I think that's the picture Paul is painting here. He's saying, you've gotten involved in what is difficult and what is hard, and we are partners in this thing together. Again, this little church at Philippi, they saw themselves as a part of Paul's ministry. They saw themselves as a part of this church planting movement that God was doing. And I want you to hear me. The primary way, the primary way this partnership manifested itself and was expressed was through their generosity toward Paul. That was the primary way this partnership was expressed. This little church was generous. And listen, they were generous with their finances, with their resources, They gave out of seasons of their own hardship and persecution. They gave when they didn't have a lot to give. Why? Because they considered Paul a part of their faith family. They considered him a part of their faith family. And because that was true, they were gospel partners with him. So listen, New Beginnings, I want you to hear me. If you call this place home, we're a faith family. Amen? The people in this room with you, if this is your home, if you're a covenant member, you're sitting with your family right now, which means... If we are a faith family, members of this church, it means we are gospel partners. So that we, we are here because we believe God has called us to this place to link our lives together in this time to champion a mission that he has given us right here where he has planted us to build the kingdom together. And I want you to hear me just like this little church in Philippi, one of the ways, one of the primary ways our partnership together manifests itself, listen, is through generosity. Through generosity. Now you're asking yourself right now, is he about to talk about money? Yeah, I'm going to talk about it. We're going to deal with it, right? And if you're asking, did Pastor Todd leave town and bring this knucklehead in to yell at us about money? Listen, I'm just as mad at him as y'all are. I'll tell you that right now. I would, <laughs> no, I'm not. I'm not. Uh, we are going to deal with it. Um, we do not hide. At new, there are churches you are free to go to where they will avoid biblical mandates in order to keep you in the seat. You're not at one of those churches. God's word teaches this. Why do we deal with it? Because God's word says to. Jesus taught about money almost more than anything else he talked about. He talked, Jesus talked about it. God's word sets the standard and the mandate. So we look at it, we deal with it. And Paul is saying, because we belong to one another, we're partnered in this thing. And you see that expressed through their generosity. Now, before we dive into the deep end, I, I want to acknowledge there are a lot of ways to be generous toward the kingdom of God. 
I want to acknowledge that there are a lot of great like nonprofits out there that have a kingdom vision and a gospel mission, and they are, they are trying to advance and build the kingdom and see people restored, and I think that's awesome, and I want you to hear me say, we should support nonprofits like that. You should find those type of places that champion a kingdom vision and, and, and champion a gospel mission, and you should support them. But I also need for you to hear me say, we should never give to nonprofits in place of, in front of, or in substitution of our first gospel partnership, which is your local church. We're just going to sit with that for a moment. I can tell by your blank stares, you're very excited about where we're going this morning. But just stay with me for a minute. Those things are great. They're, they're awesome. But when Jesus talked about his church, he said, upon this rock I will build my what? My church. He didn't say I'm trying to build a nonprofit. He said, upon this rock, I'm going to build a church. And I want you to hear me. God's church, the reason we start here and our first fruits come here and we are devoted and we give generously through here is because God's church is his plan A for taking the message of Jesus and the mission of building the kingdom of God to the world. We are plan A. Right here. So I'm not going to stay on that too long. I just, I just want you to hear me say... It's great to give in other ways, and I want to encourage you to do that, but not in place of or in substitution for your first partnership, which is the local church. Why? Because there's really something beautiful, something really powerful about this partnership we get to share together. So I want to kind of give you a big idea here, and we'll just kind of unpack it for the rest of the morning, and I want you to just take hold of this, and it's this. The gospel partnership we share leads to gospel generosity in order to see gospel advancement where God has planted us. Let me say that again. The gospel partnership we share leads to gospel generosity in order to see gospel advancement where God has planted us. This is what Paul is talking about, and it's why he is so thankful for this little church in Philippi. Let's look at verse 17. Paul says this. He says, not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gift you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. And to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. It's important to see here that as Paul talks about these financial gifts, he's doing so with a spiritual gospel kingdom perspective, right? He isn't just giving a report about what he did with the money. He's actually teaching them something. He's building a theology. He's building their believing and their faith, and he's illuminating the significance of gospel generosity. Because when we give to the local church, it matters. It matters for eternity. And when we talk about giving at New Beginnings, it isn't just about balanced budgets. It isn't just about mortgage payments. It isn't even trying to be debt-free. It's about advancing the mission of God. Amen? So several truths that we're going to take hold of um, from these verses, 17 through 20, that my prayer is will strengthen your believing. 
Because let's just, let's just recognize, it requires a tremendous amount of faith and trust to walk in financial obedience to the biblical standard God has given. Can we just acknowledge it takes faith and trust to do that? Yeah, it does. It takes faith and trust to step out and say, we are going to walk in biblical obedience when it comes to our money. We are going to do this. So how do we build the faith to do that? How do we build our believing so that this is not a burden, it's a joy? It's a joy. So let's grab some truths that we're going to see here in these verses. The first thing I want you to see is in gospel partnership, it isn't about the gift, but the fruit the gift produces. Say that again. In gospel partnership, in this thing we're doing, in being generous, it isn't about the gift, but the fruit the gift produces. Paul says in verse 17, first part, he says, not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit. I seek the fruit. Paul says, I'm not seeking a gift. I'm seeking to see fruit produced through the gift that you give. There's a big difference between seeking more money and seeking to see God produce eternal fruit through our money. Amen? Those aren't the same thing. There's a big difference between just wanting more and wanting to see God do more through what we have. And that's what Paul says. Paul says, I'm seeking the fruit. And I think one of the reasons that we struggle with obedience in this area when it comes to giving is because we lose sight of the kingdom fruit being produced through our obedience. I think we tend to lose sight of it. Let me try something real quick. All right, so if you came to faith and or was baptized here at New Beginnings, or, or you have a close, immediate relative, family member, husband, wife, son, daughter, whatever, they came to faith and were baptized here at New Beginnings. So if you or an immediate relative was saved and baptized here at New Beginnings, would you just stand right where you are? Just stand right where you are. Doesn't matter if it was 30 years ago or 30 days ago. All right, would you look around this room for just a minute? Just look around this room with me. Those of you standing, look around the room with you. Look at this. What are you seeing right now? This is fruit produced. This is kingdom fruit being born out through faithful people being obedient. That's what this is. Amen? You guys, can, you guys can be seated. When you, the point I want to make is this. When you partner with New Beginnings, when you partner with, if, new, if you have another church, when you partner with, with your church, you aren't giving to New Beginnings. You're giving through New Beginnings to see lives change. That's what we're doing. There's other examples. We partner with Places like the Southern Baptist of Texas Convention. We just had that uh, big convention this week. Pastor Todd led hundreds and hundreds of, of pastors from all across the state. Um, our church partners with our state convention. Why does that matter? Well, for reasons like this. In the last year, the SBTC has been able to plant more churches in the last 12 months than they have in the previous five years combined. That matters. It's why we partner with ministries like the Roots Network that's planning churches in East Africa right now. So you may be sitting in this room, but you're also sitting in churches all over the state of Texas, and you're sitting in churches in East Africa. Why? Because you didn't give to the church, you gave through it. You gave through it. We partner with great ministries like Hope Road 
a gospel-centered counseling center that just labor to see lives restored and people to find wholeness and health in who they are in Christ Jesus. We, we partner with ministries like Graciously Broken that labors in the name of Jesus to, to see lives restored so that, listen to me, every church that is planted and every life restored is fruit being produced through the gift. It's not about the gift, but the fruit the gift produces. Here's the second thing I want you to grab. In gospel partnership, our gifts They're doing something. They are storing up treasures in heaven. They're storing up treasures in heaven. Look at what Paul says next in verse 17. He says, not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your what? Say that word. Your credit. Now, who? everybody in here, just how many of you would acknowledge you don't love the word credit? Anybody get nervous when you see that word? I get jumpy. When I, see the, when I see the word credit, I'm like, mm, I don't like that word, right? Because normally it's meant bad news most of my life, right? But that, Paul means it different than that, right? He says, this is something that's being applied to your credit. It's being added to your account. What does he mean by to your credit? He means there is an eternal blessing in giving. And he wants them to see what this faithfulness is doing and what it's producing. He's saying, not only is it producing fruit right now in the churches that Paul is planting and in Paul's needs being met, but it is increasing the fruit of blessing in heaven for them. And the same is true for us. Not only when you give obediently to the biblical standard, the way God has laid it out, not only is it a blessing in seeing churches planted and seeing lives restored, but it's doing something eternal. It's it's doing something eternal. So I, I want you to hear me say this. In the economy of God, in the economy of God, your wealth... It's not about what you can possess in this world. It is about what you will leverage, what you're willing to leverage for eternity and what will last forever. Are you with me, New Beginnings? I feel you leaning away a little bit. I'll just preach on the floor, but we're going to get close on this. Your wealth is not about what you can possess in this world. It is about what you are willing to leverage for eternity and what will last forever. This is why Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 19, when he preaches the greatest sermon ever, Sermon on the Mount, what did he say? He said, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in Heaven, where moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. What is he saying? He is saying invest, give, be generous with eternity in view. Leverage what you have for what matters most. Use the resources God has entrusted to you to do as much as you can for the glory of God and the eternal good for others, the good of others. And listen, and as you do, as you give, as you are obedient, it is an investment into your heavenly account that you will receive as an inheritance one day. Amen? It is an investment into your heavenly, that you will get as an inheritance. Now, this doesn't mean that as believers we give in order to get. 
It means that as we partner together in generosity, it pleases God. It makes God happy to take that gift and allow it to result in blessing for us in heaven. So it's, it's, it's doing something eternal here. Here's the next thing I want you to grab. In gospel partnership, our gifts are an act of worship. This is probably the most important thing I want us to be captured by this morning. In gospel partnership, our gifts are an act of worship. I think we miss this. Because for many believers, they see the tithe that they give as a bill that they pay, not an act of worship to the Lord God of heaven and earth. Is anybody else in this room, I'm going to confess, so don't leave me hanging. Anybody else in this room guilty of having seasons in your life where you saw tithing and giving as a bill that you had to pay and not as an act of worship? I'm just telling you. I've been there. Tithing is as much worship as the singing we just did. It is as much worship as anything else that we do in response to who God is and how he has revealed himself. To us, look at what Paul says in verse 18. He says, I have received full payment and more, and I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts that you sent. And then listen to the language he used, talking about the gift, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. See that? He said it's a fragrant offering. It's an acceptable sacrifice. It's something that pleases God. Why does that language matter? Because it's the exact same language we see used in the Old Testament to describe their worship when they would make sacrifices. It's the same language when they would bring their offerings and they would bring their sacrifices. The Bible says it would create a fragrance that was pleasing to God. Why? Because as they gave of their possessions, it was an act of worship and it was a statement of God's worth and value. It was a fragrant offering. It was this aroma to heaven. Here's what else makes that beautiful. It is also the exact same language we see used to describe Jesus when he sacrificed himself for us. Ephesians 5, 2 says this, And walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself for us a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. What's the point? The first point is this. Before generosity was demanded of God's people, generosity was demonstrated through God's Son. There is no more generous story that can ever be written than the story of the gospel. Are you with me? If you belong to Jesus, you are in this room because of a generosity that was extended to you. And had it not been extended to you, you would still be lost and without hope. But because for our sake, the one who was rich became poor so that in him we might become not earthly rich, but we might be spiritually rich, restored. We've experienced a generosity that then should give birth to generosity. God's people are generous people. Why? Because they've experienced generosity like no other people in the world. Obedience in this area 
is worship. Giving generously through the church. Listen, this is not some obligatory duty that we perform. It is a sacrifice of praise to God. And it is a way that we get to declare his great worth and his value and and our surrender to his glory. This kind of faithfulness, this kind of generosity, it's, it's the outworking of God having all of who we are. Does God have all of who you are? This is the outworking of, of Romans 12, 1 and 2 becoming a reality in our life. What do those verses say? It says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a what? Say these two words. Living sacrifice. There it is again. Holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may know or you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. What's the point? When God gets all of me, when my life is offered up as a living sacrifice, when the Holy Spirit is transforming my mind and my heart, then my giving goes from obligation to adoration. It goes from reluctant to rejoicing. It goes from burden to blessing. Is that where you are? Or are you still battling giving, feeling like an obligation and a burden and being very reluctant? I can tell you, you're looking at a guy that it took far too long for me to walk in obedience to this, but I want you to hear me say, when you step out in obedience this way and you allow it to become an act of worship, you get the privilege of moving from obligation to adoration, from reluctance to rejoicing, from burden to blessing. I was a minister and a pastor for far more years than I was obedient in this area. That might be a weird thing to hear a preacher stand up here and say, but that's just true. I grew up in church. I, I knew. And I was a pastor for more years than I was obedient. But Carrie and I made this adjustment years back that we were going to give 10% and walk in obedience. And so we do it by, we do it by the automatic draft thing. And I don't do that so that I don't have to think about it because I, I look at my account all the time. Right? I do that so that when I see that come out, I, come out, I feel it as a sacrifice of praise. It's worship. I pray over it. I ask God to do something powerful with it. I bet if, obviously, every single person in this room, we know, every one of us know, we're not going to take one nickel to heaven, right? We're aware of that. The old joke is nobody takes a U-Haul to heaven. It ain't going to happen. Knowing we will not take one possession, one dime, one penny with us, yet for some reason, our money seems to be the last thing we want God to redeem. Are you with me? 
I know this isn't one of them rah-rah sermons. I get it. I just need to know, are you with me? And is that true? That our money is the, seems to be the very last thing that we want God to redeem. I think so often we'll say things like, well, as soon as I have a little more, I'll tithe. As soon as I get to that next financial uh, uh, plateau, I'll, I'll be able to give just as soon as things change. But I want you to hear me say this. If you aren't being faithful now, if you aren't being faithful with what God has entrusted to you now, if you aren't being faithful with a little, you will not be faithful with more. If you aren't walking in obedience with what you have, you're not going to walk in obedience if you get more. And that's a lie the enemy whispers into our ear. Just wait, you'll, you'll, you'll make a little more and then you'll be ready to give. Just hold off on it. That's a lie. And that is robbing you of eternal blessing. It's robbing you of being able to look around the room and go, I had a part in that life being transformed. I, I got to play a role in that simply by being obedient to God. The, the amount is not the issue. Obedience is the issue. My worship is the issue. My longing for the kingdom of God and my surrender to the will and the glory of God, that's the issue. So in this gospel partnership, our gifts are an act of worship. Here's the last thing. In gospel partnership, God promises to provide for our every need. He promises to provide for our every need. Look at verse 19, probably one of the, one of the greatest verses in the Bible. Well, certainly one of the greatest promises in the Bible for us. And my God will supply every need. Look at your neighbor right now and say, God will supply. Y'all said that in a whisper, uh, and that's, that, was, that made me uncomfortable. Look at your neighbor and say, actually with your voice, God will supply. a boy, a girl, you did it. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. One of the greatest promises in the Bible that God is going to supply our every need. Listen, this church in Philippi, they had needs. They didn't have a lot. They were under persecution from Rome. They didn't have a bunch of stuff. And let Paul, yeah, Paul says, you've been faithful. You've supplied my needs. And I want to remind you, God is the supplier of your need. And he assures them, you have not been forgotten. God sees you in your obedience. And in this act of faith and in this act of worship and trust in God, he's going to meet you there. And he's going to provide. There is a reality that we can take hold of this morning, which is this. God meets us in our obedience. He will meet you in your obedience. This is why he says in Malachi, put me to the test. Bring your tithes to the storehouse and see if I will not pour out heaven on you. 
promises to meet us. I love this verse. I read some this week from a pastor named H.B. Charles. He gave some great insight to this verse, and I just want to take two or three minutes and just unpack this. And I want it to just, I want it to encourage you. I know it's been challenging. I want you to be encouraged right now. How, how is it that we can trust this promise that he will supply? He will supply. He will meet every need. How do I trust that promise? Well, let's notice a couple things. The first is this, that God is the source of the promise. God is the source of the promise. Paul says, and my God will, my God God is not a God. He is, he is the God. He is our God. If you are in Christ, then you get to say, this is my Father. This is my God, knowing that nothing is impossible if God is your God through faith in Jesus. This is my God. And he's the source of the promise. So when Paul says, and my God will, he is saying the God who created heaven and earth will. The God who owns the cattle on a thousand hills will. The God who is infinite in riches, he will supply all of our, he's the source of the promise. He's the source. Here's the second thing. God is the scope of the promise. He's the scope of the promise. He says, and my God will supply every need of yours. This promise is all-inclusive. God himself will meet every need that, that is produced in the path of obedience. Now, it's important, it's important to take hold of this. God has never promised he will give you everything you want. Anybody already know that to be true? I'm thankful for some, me not getting some of the things I wanted. He doesn't promise to meet our every want. God's faithfulness is not measured in him meeting your every want and goal. God's faithfulness is measured in him meeting your every need. That's the promise. And I do think that there are times when God will take things away that we think we need, things that we are substituting for him and substituting for Jesus in order to teach us that what we really need is more of him. Anybody ever walk through a season where God took some stuff away to make you look at him again? Every need we have in this path of obedience will be taken care of in him. Why? Because he's the scope of the promise. Here's the next thing. God is the sufficiency of the Anybody believe God is sufficient? It says, and my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory. Well, what do we know about God's riches? We know they're inexhaustible. There is no limit to them. Romans eleven thirteen says, oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. Right? He is totally sufficient to meet every need. I think this is what positioned David in Psalm 23 that says, Because the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not what? Provides every need. He's sufficient. So I want you to hear me say, There is no need your generosity, your obedience can create that God will not meet because he is He's the source. He's the scope. He's the sufficiency. Here's the last thing. 
God is the security of the promise. He's the security of the promise. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Are you thankful that the security of God's promise to meet your need is not based on your goodness? It isn't based on your merit. It is based in Christ Jesus. We are in Christ Jesus. This is what it means. We are, we are in him. Christ is our security. Christ is the guarantee. Christ is the promise to provide. It is, and this promise that he's given, it is grounded deeply in the gospel. Romans 8.32 says, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? He's the source. He's the scope. He's the sufficiency. He is the security. So now let's just, I want everybody to just examine your heart for a minute. And I want you to ask yourself, am I a gospel partner? Am I walking in obedience? Is generosity seen in my life by how I walk in obedience to the biblical standard of giving through my church? Don't hear me say it's easy. Hear me say it's worth it. Don't hear me say it's easy. Hear me say it's worth it. I'm not the first person to say it is easier for a believer to live on 90% of their money than it is to live on 100. And some of you know that to be true. And I know that feels like such a risky thing to just step out there and do. So my question is, are you walking in obedience to this? If as you search your heart here, the answer would be, no, I'm not. I'm not. I don't know how to do it. I'm not walking in obedience to this. Here's my challenge to you. In just a minute, we're going to worship. But as we worship, I want you to pray. So you may need to just stay seated. You may need to come get on your knees at this altar. But I want you to pray. And I want you maybe for the first time in a long time to invite the Holy Spirit to get involved in this area of your life. Just confess it. Repent of it. God, I'm not doing this. I lack faith here. I need you to build me up and build my believing. So maybe the response time for you is just repentance, asking the Holy Spirit to fill you. For some of you this morning, you're hearing me talk about this relationship with Jesus, this life in Christ, this way he wants to move and what joy in him and living worthy of the gospel. But the reality is you don't belong to him. And so I want you to hear me say, before God wants your money, he wants your heart. Before he wants your wallet, he wants a relationship with you. And you'll never walk in obedience to him until you have been born again and made new in him. And so I would ask you, as you're searching your heart, do you belong to Jesus? Is he the Lord of your life? Gosh, I don't know. I've been in church all my life. How do I know if I belong to Jesus? Let me ask you a question. How do you know when you've turned on a light? It ain't dark anymore. It changed. 
when Jesus enters a heart, a heart changes. And it changes in a way that you can look back and go, I'm not perfect, but I met Jesus right there and I'm not the same. I've been born again. Has that happened for you? If not, then we're going to have some people here. They want to just connect with you and they can help you do that. So I'm going to invite you, whatever you need to do in this moment, whatever act of worship Whatever worship needs to look like for you, sitting, praying, asking to be filled with the Spirit and to be obedient, coming to the altar, confessing, repenting, grabbing somebody and just saying, I don't belong to Jesus and I need to be born again. Whatever it looks like, be courageous, be obedient. Father, I love you. Thank you for loving us. I pray that just for the next few minutes, Lord Jesus, you would move in our room. Holy Spirit, I pray you would work in our heart. Give us ears to hear, eyes to see. Give us hearts that want to obey. Soften our hearts, God. Give us us a fresh desire to repent. A fresh desire to glorify you. We love you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand. Let's respond.